Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And Bridget and I would like you to create a picture in your mind. It's time for your annual appointment. You have questions on menopause and you make a doctor's appointment. And you go into a doctor's office, and it's a beautiful facility. There are no pregnant women sitting there. You don't have to worry about a cancellation due to an emergency delivery. There's coffee. You get to relax. And then you're called into your appointment. And you get to talk to a NAMS certified, North American Menopause Society certified doctor, from anywhere from 40 to 60 minutes getting your questions answered. They might recommend an ultrasound. They might recommend another procedure, and it's right there in the office. They also talk about how your skin might be changing, and there's facials and different aesthetics that you can use right there in the facility. So, Bridget, I love that dream. It is Mm -hmm. closer than you think. We are going to be talking to Dr. Somi Javed. She is the founder of Her MD. What's her MD? Her MD is a full service women's healthcare with offices in five different states right now. We are lucky enough to say one is about 20 minutes from Nashville, which we are excited. Bridge and I are both going to make our appointments, but they offer full services for women, whether it's gynecology, sexual health care, hormone therapy, laser surgery, or you just want to get a really good facial, they will offer those services and they are cutting edge for what we need as women 40 and 50 and 60 and beyond. So we were thrilled to get Dr. Somi Javed on to talk to us about how she got the idea for her MD that state of healthcare for women right now, which is still not good, it's still a man-driven healthcare system, and what we can expect for women of a certain age and the questions that we want to get answered. I was just so happy to talk. Oh, I was so thrilled. And, you know, she brought up the point of you don't need to be embarrassed to talk about anything with her or people at her MD, do not feel embarrassed. You know, she brings up in the episode that how some doctor who was a gynecologist, somebody asked them a question and that gynecologist blush at the question. (laughs) And I'm kind of, you know, you deal with this all the time (laughs) that you should feel comfortable asking any question, any concerns that you have whatsoever. And I know women get extremely uncomfortable asking sexual intimate questions, you're going to find out all kinds of things coming out because a lot of our listeners really want to know non-hormonal treatments. And she's going to tell you a few that have to do with sexual health. And it was great. Just her explanations of things are just incredible. And you can picture that in your mind and you understand answers to these things that you have going on with your body. So I really, really appreciate it. I'm so excited for my point. I've never been so excited to go to the gynecologist (laughs) in my life. Yes. And just as a little side note, Bridget, this is Academy Awards week, which I love. I I used to love watching Joan Rivers on the red carpet. Oh, I did too. I did too. I miss her. When we had our episode with Melissa Rivers a while back, it was great talking to her about her experiences with her mom on the red carpet. But if you check out our Instagram, there's a very 
funny post from Jamie Lee Curtis, who talks about being invited to a dinner for the Academy nominees, but it's a later dinner. And she said, I don't do late dinners. I don't do anything at nine o'clock. And she declined. And I was like, bravo. You oh, are that my- is so Colleen, which mm-hmm. you know what? Good for you. You know, I need my, you sleep. know, and no is a complete sentence. And you know what? There is, I take absolutely no offense to Colleen, like saying this 10 o'clock's my time. And it's actually helped me say, hey, you know what? I can't do this. It's nothing against this person. I know what I need. So bravo to both of you for well, knowing thank your, you. your bedtime and knowing what your body needs. Well, and Jamie, yes. if you're listening, call me. We'll talk. Like, because I completely yes. get it. I could. And. <laughs> With that, guys, make sure you're following us on Instagram, all of our social media. Have you checked out our website, hotflasheschooltopics.com? We've got great show notes and links to all of these episodes. So if you have questions after you listen to it, you can go to our show notes and all the links will be there. And now we are going to talk to Dr. Somi Shavade. We'll talk to you after. Welcome back, guys. Today we are going to have just an amazing conversation with Dr. Somi Javade. And Dr. Javade is a board certified gynecologist, and she is also the founder of Her MD. Welcome to the show, Somi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. One of the things Bridget and I have brought up so many times is that we wish there was a place where women in midlife could go to get more than 15 minutes for an annual checkup. No, we're not pregnant. No, we don't want to talk. We want our questions answered, but sometimes we don't even know what those questions are. And when we heard about her MD, and and luckily you've opened one in Tennessee, so we are thrilled to be going over there for our annuals coming up this year, but it's giving women a voice in their health. Can you talk to us a little bit about what HerMD is and why you started it? Absolutely. Um, So as you mentioned, I am the founder and a board-certified OBGYN. And the founding story always gets me uh, teary-eyed because it's a deeply, deeply personal story. I was pre-med at Northwestern at the time when I got a dreaded phone call from my father telling me I needed to come home. And it was because my mother, who was only 45 years old at the time, um, was emergently being taken in for quadruple bypass surgery. Um, This is after weeks of pleading with her physicians saying she was having chest arm chest pain, left arm pain, shortness of breath. If any non-doctor in this day and age Googles this, we'll be like, uh, it's, it's this woman's heart. But science and data at the time could not explain why a thin, non-smoking, very active woman would ever present with four-vessel disease. Uh, luckily for my family and for my mother, um, she did survive and is alive to this day and got the intervention that she needed. But, you know, the dismissals and the current healthcare system, it nearly cost her her life. So that's the cost of ignoring women and dismissing them is grave. Uh, I was pre-med at Northwestern at the time. It was my aha moment uh, that I was going to go into women's health care, that we needed an advocate. Um, fast forward, I'm in my first job and I'm listening to patients and I'm trying to be that advocate I promised uh, both myself and my mother. And the uh, realities of our very, very broken healthcare system kind of smacked me in my idealistic face. And so when the timing was right, um, both professionally and personally, when I could not find job satisfaction, despite being a physician, right? This was my calling. This was not just a job for me. I uh, decided to open my own doors where women 
women would be heard. Uh, they would be partners in their care. They would not, not be dismissed. That uh, their treatments would be evidence-based and not gimmick or opportunistic like I see popping up um, in the medscape right now. And the other biggest thing for me was I knew how broken healthcare was for the providers. And if we didn't fill the buckets of our providers and help them feel empowered and allow them to practice medicine that we spend all those years studying to do, uh, that we were never going to succeed. And so really gave the providers work-life balance, mission-driven work. And we have almost zero turnover at HerMD um, in the provider space because of that very reason. Do you mind sharing what some of those challenges for providers are when you're not with HerMD? <laughs> So we also hate the 15-minute appointment. To me, it felt like drive-through, like pap smears, right? <laughs> and and practicing doorknob medicine. So here you are trying to establish rapport, listen to a patient, uh, do an examination, educate her on her diagnosis and her body, because most women don't know, right, about disease states, their bodies, because we haven't taught them. And then you're trying to give them all of their options. Like, do you want to go with an over-the-counter? Do you want a hormone? Do you want a prescription? Risk-benefit analysis. Don't forget to type it all up, which most doctors, I mean, I took one keyboarding class. Like, you have to type it all up, put the orders in, put the prescriptions in, make sure you send it off, and do this all in 15 minutes. Um, there was a study recently published that said an eight-hour workday for a provider in this country is equivocal to just under 28 hours of work. I, I mean, what have we done? What have we done and why? And so that is what is facing our providers. And so uh, we just did a launch event in Indiana and the physician who is going to be leading there became overwhelmed with emotional emotion when she took the microphone and just said, I feel like I'm finally home and I get to practice medicine the way it was intended. Um, and so those are the challenges. And so her MD is a national brand of centers, um, that offers, um, an array of women's healthcare services, but really we are a gynecologic brand that specializes in menopause and sexual healthcare because nationally less than 20% of OBGYNs are trained. A hundred percent of our providers are trained. Um, and then we offer a full array of services, whether it's hormones, whether it's your annual. Um, and we also do a lot of complex gynecology. So we take care of cervical dysplasia or what people call precancer. We take care of fibroids, polycystic ovary syndrome. We work up basic infertility. We talk about hormones. We have imaging and surgery in the offices. And then obviously we have a full-blown medical spa, which was very interesting when I launched uh, eight years ago because it wasn't really commonplace to offer aesthetic or cash-based services within a very traditional model of healthcare because HerMD gynecologic services are offered within most major insurance plans. And I say most, um, but most major insurance plans. So if you think about the Blues and Cigna and Anthem, you know, we take all of those. We take Medicare, we take military insurance. Um, so we're really accessible to a lot of women, which was also a very key uh, component of the business for me. We're always saying to our listeners, be prepared, know the questions you want to ask, know the red flags. This is a long, I mean, you get full, complete, comprehensive care here. Can you just show us, explain to us an example of what an appointment would look like? 
Yeah. So depending on what you're coming in for, our appointment times are 20 minutes um, minimum, um, but a lot of new patients will get 60 minutes depending on what they are seeking out. I definitely tell patients to um, expect to either come in for their annual and then they can start to tell us what else is going on. And then we can start to order labs and work that up. Um, But I really do tell patients and I encourage them for insurance coverage to maximize their coverage on their visits to really separate separate out those visits. So come in for a menopause consult and get the full 40 to 60 minute FaceTime with us. Bring in all of your questions. We'll review all of the data, your options, your medical history. We may or may not do an exam that day, depending. Like if you're having vaginal pain or vaginal dryness or sexual pain, we may do an exam. Oftentimes we don't. We then encourage people to have an annual, which is routinely just breast exam, pap smear if indicated. We talk about bone health um, and we talk about, you know, your medical history, your family history. And so that is the number one thing I tell patients to do because you will get the most out of your visit if you concentrate what you are coming in for. And you said, you know, I always get confused about this with pap smears in your annual. How often should you get a pap smear? Yeah. So when I was training, you know, it's hard for us to keep up with the guidelines. So, you know, some patients every year, some patients it's three years and some patients it's every five. It depends on your medical history. It depends on your family history. It depends on HPV status um, and whether or not you've had abnormals before, um, whether or not you've required biopsies. So there is an algorithm of care that most OBGYNs follow that is not an algorithm set by her MD, um, but that's set nationally. And that also dictates whether or not your pap smear portion of your visit will be covered, which is not billed um, by her MD, that's billed by you know the lab that runs runs the pap smear, and so that's what I tell patients to be cognizant of. And some insurance companies even get nitpicky; like most will say once a year. Some will even go as far as one every three hundred sixty five days. So I always tell people the devil is in the details, and make sure they know their their plans with. Women coming in for this, their sexual health issues, number one, women are afraid to even talk about it. Mm-hmm. So how do they get over kind of asking the questions? And two, what kind of options are available for women who maybe have vaginal atrophy or frequent UTIs, things like that? Yeah. So it's very interesting to me, you know, listening to women for the last 20 years, I I call myself an educator, but I'm always a forever student and listening to women and um, their perception of sexuality. Most women will even ask me, what does a sexual health doctor do? And then I'll turn the tables on them. And I said, well, what do they do for men? And, you know, they know the anatomy of a penis. They know um, all of the male sexual health drugs out there. But then when I start naming off female solutions or even disease states, in sexuality, they don't know because traditionally most doctors aren't trained. Um, There's been stigma and taboo and shame, you know, and a lot of people assume that uh, sexual problems are just in the menopausal years when in fact 43% of women struggle with some type of sexual dysfunction. Most women don't know there's a standardized tool that we use called the FSFI, Female Sexual Function Index, that objectively measures what we call all the domains of sexuality. So libido, arousal, orgasm, pain, we can measure all this. And then we can give you a data-driven approach. So let's say for libido, for example, 
The medical terminology for low libido in a woman is hypoactive sexual desire disorder. There have to be specifics. So number one, it has to be bothersome to a patient, right? There are going to be patients who say, I'm done with those years, Dr. Javade. I don't want to have sex anymore. I'm in a great place. We're not chasing those women down with solutions. If they're truly happy and that's where they're at, great. Number two, it cannot be directly attributable to something else in their life. If a mom is coming in and she's got a newborn baby and she's telling me, I don't want to have sex, I'm like, you go, girl. You get your sleep. You take care of your baby. And that is okay. Some women just need that support. And then there are other women who are distressed by the lack of sexuality. They want to get back to where they were. It's not directly attributable maybe to a new medication or a recent surgery or a new baby. Um, and, and they want to get better. And so there are two FDA-approved medications um, for low libido. The first one is called Addy. It stands for Add Your Interest. It is non-hormonal. It works on neurotransmitters in the brain. It increases excitation and decreases inhibition. And that's the state that we need to be in for sexuality. And they know this because they did a study on women. And they showed the women who were struggling with their libido and women who weren't. I hate normal and abnormal. We don't use those terms at HerMD. They showed everyone visual erotica, i.e. porn, and then put women in scanners to look at the brain activity. And in that state, we should be super excited and not inhibited. And that's what was happening in the women who reported that they were having a typical sexual experience. The women who were struggling had the exact opposite pattern. And so Addy is a nightly pill non-hormonal, works on neurotransmitters in the brain, and increases desire and increased a lot of those parameters across that FSFI that I talked about. That was the first one. 2015, it was approved. Uh, the second one is um, called Vilesi, and that's an injectable that's actually more like Viagra. It's funny to me that the pink pill Addy was compared to Viagra, um, but Vilesi is on demand. So Addy takes a while to build up into your system um, and takes up to eight weeks to work. And in some patients, we've discovered longer. Um, Vilesi is an on-demand and you inject yourself 45 minutes before you want to want to have sex uh, or you want to have that desire. And so it's a great fix for my patients who come into her MD and they're like, Dr. Javed, I have my 25th wedding anniversary trip. Like you have to fix this this weekend. Um, but you know, there are side effects to these medications. Vilesi, for one, can carry a risk of, of nausea. Um, I have the best story of a patient who actually got very nauseated. And um, and I said, are you going to do it again? And she said, absolutely, because my desire to have sex was greater than my desire to puke. So I'm good with it, Dr. J. <laughs> and she was just so happy that there was a solution. Um and then the third option, you know, for desire in this country is um, testosterone, which I know for a lot of doctors can be a controversial topic. Um, there is currently no FDA-approved testosterone-only option for women, but there was a global consensus statement that was um, issued a few years ago that talks about testosterone replacement, that it can be safe in women, that it doesn't cause um, increased risk of breast cancers, that it doesn't increase, you know, um, cholesterol and their lipids, as long as it's done correctly. And so there are a multitude of options for just that one issue with sexuality, right? We haven't even gone into the question you asked me, um, which is what we call GSM, 
genitourinary syndrome of menopause. It's like the honeymoon phase again, what patients describe, you know, they're getting UTIs after sex or they're having frequent vaginal infections or they're having dryness um, or they're having sexual pain or what we call dyspruenia. Um, and there are a lot of options for this um, that are prescription, that are over the counter. So I'll give you one example. So intrarosa is a vaginal insert. It is hormonal. Um, very, very little gets into your bloodstream. So most patients who aren't even candidates, let's say for systemic hormones, are still candidates for this. We just ask their oncologists if they have cancer. We ask their hematologists if they've had stroke or they've had heart attack. You know, we'll ask their cardiologists, but most of these doctors are okay with it because those hormones are considered locally acting. And what's happening in the female genital tract or pelvic tract is that, you know, our vaginas are designed like an accordion and they have these thick, beautiful folds called rugae and they can stretch and accommodate partners. As we age and estrogen and testosterone decrease, the skin gets thinner. And so we can't fight off infection. There's not as much elasticity. So instead of like stretching um, and feeling very lubricated, the tissue gets very dry thin and it can tear with pressure intercourse or with stresses. And so, you know, we recommend moisturizers, we recommend lubricants, we recommend, um, vaginal hormones and intrarosa isn't the only one. I particularly like intrarosa because it's a unique formulation and they have once again, that FSFI data that it helps with orgasm and it helps with arousal. It's not just helping um, with the dryness and the pain. And then at HerMD, we have um, unique treatments like radiofrequency and microneedling that are great options for um, patients who are like, listen, I don't want to put something in my vagina every day, or I've had an adverse response to hormones, or despite the fact that they are local, my doctor is just not okay with it. Um, and so we will treat women in Instead, with this 15-minute procedure in the office that really helps them with incontinence, dryness, pelvic floor health. And so that's a really nice option. The issue with those treatments is they're not yet covered by insurance. <laughs> okay. We that hear was that going a to lot. be that question. Yeah. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but for women with high deductible plans, and particularly women um, who are facing incontinence, it is still much, much cheaper than going to the hospital and having surgery, let's say with a urologist, right? Like a sling or a, a bladder procedure. And so a lot of women will choose these options. Some women, their hormones can be upwards of two to $300 a month if they're not covered. Um, and so it's more cost effective for them. Um, and some women will do this in conjunction with um, intrarosa. And, and there have been some studies showing um, how effective, like, let's say, over-the-counter lubricants and vibrators are versus intrarosa versus intrarosa with a energy-based treatment. And obviously, those women fare the best because you're stimulating that tissue. And if you look at before and afters of the vagina uh, and the vaginal tissue, it's profound um, what these treatments can do because basically you're causing purposeful injury. So you're purposely injuring the tissue with energy and then the body goes, oh, I have to repair this. And so that's how you then get a thickening of the tissue. Um, 
And where a lot of people got into trouble are when these devices ended up in Medi spas and they were making all these promises and promising 60-year-old women they're going to walk out with 19-year-old vaginas. It's not going to happen, right? But is your sexual pain going to get better, your dryness, your prolapse? Yes. And you also have to know what you're doing and you have to prick the appropriate patient and you have to counsel them. Um, and so we have had tremendous um, positive impact and results with um, these energies and these therapies. You know, um, so the Interrosa, is that prescription or is that over the counter? I forgot what you said. It's prescription. It's prescription. Yeah. Okay. And you know, the thing is, I it's so hard to get the word out. I know about this because of what I'm doing and I'm looking, I'm researching it. But so many of our listeners have no idea or, you know, people that find our if they, podcast. And if they don't listen to us, they have no they, idea. They really have no idea. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. I did a TEDx talk about the profound gender bias that exists, number one, in healthcare, right? Less of the VC dollars go to us, less research. Women are underrepresented in clinical research trials. There's profound gender bias. Um, whether it's a male or female physician, we tend to dismiss female pain. I mean, you guys, we were talking about the Blow the Belt documentary, and that one woman said, I'm, I'm more believed and validated when I have my male partner with me. That's yes. horrific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We wait longer in emergency rooms than our male counterparts for pain medications. We're more likely to die of cardiovascular disease and heart attacks than, than male counterparts. And even though we outnumber men in the clinical workforce, we are not the decision makers, right? We do not outnumber them in the C-suite um, because everyone asks me, how did female healthcare get here? How are we here? And despite the U.S. being very progressive with our musical lyrics, uh, when we talk about sexuality um, on TV and movies, I still think globally we are well behind a lot of cultures when it comes to taboo, stigma, and shame around sexuality, particularly female sexuality. I was never taught. I'm an OBGYN. We we learn about the vagina and the pelvis, and I was never taught about sexuality for women, talking about pleasure for women, talking about arousal, talking about orgasm. I learned about contraception, obstetrics, pain, surgery. I was never taught um, how to talk to women about sexuality beyond the reproductive years. That's really sad. It is. I think one of the things that makes her MD so revolutionary is that your mission is to kind of close that gender gap in healthcare, which is very slow. A lot, like you were saying, a lot of dollars in research don't go towards women related issues. And the fact that you're saying, I'm going to give you somewhere between 20 and 60 minutes to talk about your gynecological health. It shouldn't be revolutionary. Like that shouldn't, is, is it, because of the insurance companies that it's a challenge because it's not easy to do what you're doing. You have to really marry it with other things in order to make it available to to women. Well, and that's the challenge I faced as a founder. Like this is a great idea having all this time and not going concierge because that's so limiting as a provider, a concierge physician, they do great work. They obviously get to spend a lot of time with their patients, but you know, 
most of my patients can't afford it. It's thousands of dollars a year to belong. And oftentimes you still have to pay for your visits or they're still billed to insurance depending on how they're designed. And so at HerMD, most of our providers can see 1,500 to 2,000 patients each. So think about the access. So I was like, I'm not going to charge membership. I'm not going to go concierge. But how am I going to do this? Because insurance companies, I would love to tell you they're giving me outstanding contracts. They're not. They're still considering HerMD a new company. Um, they're much kinder to hospital systems. And so it was like, how do I bring in additional revenue to make this work? And so it was putting the surgical center in. It was, you know, putting imaging in, um, putting all of these other services. And then it was adding a medical spa. And at first, people did not lock on. They're like, what is she doing? But I knew aesthetics was a very um, rapidly growing industry. I knew that you didn't have to go to residency, right? We're not doing facelifts or um, anything like that. And so I was like, we have providers on site all the time. Um, so you want to talk about safety versus a traditional medispa, unbelievable. They have trust and rapport with us, and they're telling us about all of these issues. When they come in talking about, for example, um, PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, we take care of their fertility issues. We take care of their abnormal bleeding. We take care of their cysts, and we do their imaging. But a lot of patients with PCOS will have weight gain, um, and they want to talk about body shaping. They want to talk about nutrition. They want to talk about, I hate the word diets, let's, let's say... Um, you know, food plan. Like, I'll just yes, say lifestyle, lifestyle changes. Yes, mm -hmm. lifestyle changes. Um, but then they also have hirsutism, you know, which is abnormal hair growth and um, male growth patterns because of uh, hormonal issues. They have higher testosterone levels, which causes hair to grow, upper lip, chin, and they'll have darker, thicker hair. And so they want to talk about laser hair removal. Well, guess what? We can offer that. And we can offer stronger lasers because we have doctors on site. You know, our menopausal patients, they want to have their annuals. They want to talk about their breast health and their bone health. And they want to talk about hormones. But then they want to talk about aging and what's happening to their skin and their sleep. Um, and they want to look and feel better. And so they want to talk to us about Botox and filler. And so it's just a very natural uh, progression in her MD centers. I purposefully made sure that the providers, your surgeons, your researchers, your doctors, the ones who are writing your prescriptions are not the same people that are taking care of you on the spa because I want you to feel no pressure to go to the spa and I want you to have that um, independent experience in the spa if you so choose to go there. Um, and I think that is the other beautiful thing about you know, the HerMD spa and the HerMD experience. And so that was the revenue stream that supports the really long appointments. And so it's a win-win. The other thing is they said, you'll never get your aesthetic staff and the med staff to ever understand each other or respect each other. I was worried because I've been a professor. I've been in academic institutions. It could not have gone any better. Um, there's a lot of cross-training and it's amazing. Our aesthetic staff will catch things. Um, like if they see the hair growth, they'll say, hey, have you been worked up for PCOS? Like, has anyone ever talked to you about this? And same with the medical side. They will, you know, say, has anyone ever talked to you about laser hair removal? Has anyone ever talked to you about acne treatments? So it's a match made in heaven, really. And the staff love learning from each other and they love the cross training. So it's a really empowering environment. And can you share how many HerMDs are open right now? 
So we have four um, open right now, Ohio, Kentucky, um, just north of Indianapolis and Carmel. And then we have one in Franklin, Tennessee, um, outside of Nashville. (laughs) We're very excited Um, about that you chose that one. Yes. New Jersey is under construction and slated to open uh, in early May. And then Atlanta, Georgia will uh, round out our last location this year with many, many more um, to come because that is one of our goals is increasing access to care. Which is such a gift to women, especially in our demographic. And I also want to make women aware that the state you do have a brick and mortar location, you can also do telehealth. That is correct. So they, uh, and we do take insurance um, for our telehealth visits. And it's so great to be a woman of my age, 55, and other menopausal women, to have someone that is really, you know, available and that will separate, will spend that time with you because typically we're going to OB, GYNs, and most of the women like Colleen always says are pregnant in the room. I don't want to be around pregnant (laughs) women. It could be contagious. I don't (laughs) want to be around. I mean, I just don't, I I understand when I was younger and they would say, oh, the doctor's running late. There was an emergency delivery. I get that, but I don't want to hear it anymore. And I, and I get it um, when you're not in the thick of that anymore. And I think that's where we also have really failed women. And we were trying to understand, and I read a fascinating article the other day about, you know, we're going to spend 40% of our lives in menopause because of increased life expectancy. So just think about that. 1.1 billion individuals will be menopausal by 2025. And yet, if you think about it, historically, we have concentrated on women as vessels for pregnancy, which is amazing. Like, I'm a mom. I have three kids. Like, I love that. Or objects of male pleasure. Think think about that. And why? They were like, why? Aside from all the other barriers I told you. And they think it's because traditionally, historically, Gynecology has been a very male-dominated field, and it is from the objective of the male perspective that women were looked upon in science, in gynecology, in data. And so that is why there's an extraordinary focus on the reproductive years, which are such a small, if you think about our lifespan, such a small amount of time. Um, Now, I'm not saying that those women don't deserve the data, the research, the funding, everything that's going on and the attention, but we have really forgotten about women after they're done having babies and they want to come in and they want to talk to you about their sleep, their anxiety, their depression, their mild cognitive decline, what's happening in their relationships and their sexual health. And, And they want ownership of that and they want to understand what's going on and they deserve to be visible and to be heard. Uh, you know, I think you guys were there when I talked about one of the saddest stories I've ever heard in gynecology. And it was a woman who was struggling with GSM and she was never told it was GSM. And so then it led to low libido because I mean, who wants to do anything when it hurts? So sex was extraordinarily painful. She wasn't driven to do it, but adored her husband and he left her and, and she was at a lecture of mine and she was, you know, listening to me and she was like, oh my God, that's all it was. Like I needed a suppository or potentially, you know, this treatment that you're talking about or a lubricant or a moisturizer. She lost her relationship because of menopause. Just think about that for a second. So for all the people who don't want to invest in women's healthcare or say they're not going to die from it, 
how many conditions do we treat for people that don't lead to death, right? But lead to quality of life. So why are we always putting that parameter or that limitation when we're specifically talking about women's healthcare, you know, conditions? And so it was so sad to me and she was crying because it was when she saw me in the office then because it was our aha moment that it was preventable. There's so much emotional attachment to that too with anxiety and depression. And it really is a 360 look at a female, which has really never been done before. I mean, they piecemeal us and they give us medication for certain things, but to look at the whole picture of a woman's experience is, is unusual. Well, and that's what the way women need to be treated. It's called the biopsychosocial approach. You know, you take her medical history, you take hormones into effect, but you also take into account what's going on in her life. And so, you know, we showed um, in studies that we uh, presented recently that, for example, with Addie, we have almost an 80% success rate at her MD because we address the pain, we address the relationship issue, we get them into pelvic floor, um, you know, physical therapy, we get them into counseling, right? And um, so if you don't address the shame, the isolation, the guilt that women experience when their sexual being is not who they used to be, they'll describe themselves as broken, undeserving. Um, and they're losing relationships, their self-confidence, they're going into depression. And so people and individuals who um, are sexually active are much more confident and they're healthier. And so if you are able to repair that and fix that for an individual, you are fixing so many other aspects of their healthcare. And so at HerMD, sexual healthcare is healthcare. Menopausal healthcare is healthcare, like period. And there is no difference um, in talking to your doctor about your vagina or your vaginal health than there is about talking about an earache or a headache. And you know, that's the first thing I tell my patients. Like, let's let's get rid of any shame or stigma um, that you have or fear about talking about your own body to us. You know, we're here to help you. Again, this pinballing of women from expert to expert and no one looking at, like you said, the whole clinical picture. Well, you have depression. Your primary care might put you on antidepressants. Well, is the depression for menopause? Cause we definitely see that increase. You're having, you know, mild cognitive decline. You're being sent to the neurologist, but wait, wait, we know this happens in menopause. So, you know, you're having joint aches, you're being sent to the rheumatologist, but wait, estrogen is hydrophilic. It pulls water with it. You know, dry skin and dry joints, that can happen in menopause. Um, you're going to a weight loss specialist. They're sending you to a sleep doctor for insomnia. It's like, what, what are we doing? You know, there's no like holistic approach to say, hey, maybe all of these symptoms over 30 <laughs> are attributable to your menopause or even perimenopause. And I think that's the other issue in this country is that sometimes we have very a narrowed uh, tunnel vision when we're looking at patients. Thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate, I just don't think you, you can even understand how much we appreciate the fact that there is a facility out there and now several of them where you are addressing the concerns of women and making them feel seen and heard and a partner in their medical care, which to date, we really have not felt that. Thank you both for being her empty fans and for inviting <laughs> me today. This was uh, the highlight of my day. I had so much fun talking with you both. 
Well, we want to thank Dr. Somi Javed so much for being on our show. Colleen and I are so excited that we have her MD near us in Tennessee. And just be on the lookout. Check out her MD's website. If you're yes. in the state that there is a brick and mortar office, you can you can receive telehealth services. Right. And I, I really appreciate the fact that she went that extra mile to get insurance. Um, yes. You know, some some insurance. So check that out too. see if your insurance is covered by some of the procedures that they do at her MD offices. Make sure that you follow us on all social media accounts. Have a great week, guys. We will talk to you next week on Wednesday. Bye. Bye.